season three we have an amazing superb branched out into so many different things he's a multi mobile award-winning artist not only that he's a broadcaster you've seen on talk sport you've seen on sky sports you've seen on the human bee podcast you've seen him on channel 4 sunday brunch you've seen him on all these different t- different things bbc tv and documentaries he's an author of two books unpopular culture most recently unspoken Toxic masculinity and how I face the man within the man. The creator of LO Mate, you have to say that, LO Mate, you have to say that. And LO Mate Live. Former viola player, you know. Hi, come on. <laughs> come on. Former viola player, the West Ham supporter, the husband and father, some of you know Good bro, appreciate that intro, man. Love. <laughs> Thanks. Intros make me feel weird, bro. Why is it making sure like how much you've done or you're doing? Nah, not even that. It's I don't like attention. People think because I'm on like I'm a rapper and all that kind of stuff. But you know, like when you're in a room with someone yeah. and they're giving you mad compliments, yeah. I'm always like mad shy. Don't know where to look. That kind of stuff. But thank you for the effort that you put into that. Nah, and you know, makes it, it worse as well. You just gotta sit there and just yeah, do it. yeah. I know that's what I'm saying, man. <laughs> you just like ah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know who you are, who's Governor B? Um, Governor B, I'm a rapper, first and foremost, uh, a broadcaster, mm. uh, presenter, yeah. an author. I just like communicating positive messages inspired by my faith. But aside from Governor B, Isaac, which is the name my mum gave me, yes. um, Christian, husband, father, friend, son, I think that's it. That's good stuff. So in terms of kind of like your early years growing up, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, your MySpace spitting and how, you, you know, you, you've passed to kind of heard what you were saying on the MySpace and stuff like that. We'll talk about the battle rapping in year nine and stuff like that. But in terms of your early teens and like when you kind of became a Christian, what kept you coming to church and what kept you close to God in those early years? Yeah, I think primarily it was my parents because okay. Ghanaian, Christian, so wasn't really a choice, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, I remember when I thought I was like decent at football uh, and back then the football matches used to be on Sundays and so I couldn't go football matches or football training or anything like that but yeah, church was just a non-negotiable from a young age, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it wasn't like, yeah, yeah I want to go, it was just like... Nah, you're going, man, that's just, that's just what we do. Um, but aside from that, I think I always had faith or I always had belief in something from a young age. Yeah. I used to look at like nature mm. and I remember thinking, it's mad weird, but I used to look at my hands and think, rah, both of them are the same size. That's, <laughs> that's mad, yeah? <laughs> I believe I someone created this. So I think I never really struggled with the idea of faith or mm. believing in something greater, but my parents definitely embedded the whole, you're going to church and God is the person that enables us to do what we do and provides for us and that kind of stuff. So yeah, faith was there from young. Okay, so then you move on to kind of becoming a rapper now. What I really want to speak about is you being in year nine, battle rapping, <laughs> in the, in the, I can imagine in the playground. Yeah. How do you go from battle rapper, what was your, did you have a battle rap, battle rap name? Because everyone has a battle rap name when they start battle rapping. That I was always to. governor, you know. It's really? The tag come from, um, I was on a bus and me and my brethren's 
You know, like when you had like a tag, did you have a tag name at school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was yours? Mine was um, Big H. Big H, yeah. So it was like that. And we said, ah, oh, because there's a few of us, we're like a little army. So yeah. I was governor, like one of my boys was like general, one of them was lieutenant. Oh. And then the name kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm just called governor by accident, really. It was just from, <laughs> from then. So yeah, people always used to just call me governor at yeah. school. Um, and yeah, just enjoyed rap and started battle rapping as a joke. I went to school in Essex. Okay. So I was like the best. <laughs> or one of the best, not because I was sick, but just because everyone else was so bad. Oh. You get me? <laughs> Damn yeah, so that's how it all kicked off, really. So then, how do you go from spitting, putting your music on MySpace, to then you, you, you've passed to then hearing and saying, "Hold on, what's 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 going on here?" Yeah. So, like I said, I always used to do okay at the battles. I never really thought I was an actual good yeah. MC. It was just like a bit of banter. Um, but I'd put it up on MySpace because. Back then, that's what you did in it, and local area, everyone could hear it and stuff. And my youth pastor came across my song. I don't even know how he heard it. <laughs> Must have been someone else told him at yeah. the youth group. Someone definitely snitched. Yeah, yeah. someone snitched, bro. <laughs> I need to find out who that person was. Then he was like, yo, I can actually hear you've got flow, yeah. you're decent, but I don't understand what you're chatting about because you're effing, you're blanding, like you're dissing people. But when you come to church, you're just a different guy. So uh, what is it? And he sat me down, took me under his wing, and we spoke about how, like, if I believe in Jesus and I want to walk down that path, then my life has to reflect mm. what I believe in. Yeah, yeah. And I guess he just kind of discipled me a little bit and sent me a challenge to record an album or a mixtape for my youth group. Yeah. And there was about 80 people in my youth group at the time. So I recorded the album, put my all into it, and he challenged me for the content to be reflective of my faith. Mm. So yeah, I did that, called it a narrow road, and um, he put on like a little launch party for me at the church. Yeah. And I don't know how, but like 800 people turned up. Yeah, you say little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was 800 a lot more. people for a debut. Yeah, it's mad. Yeah. I don't even know how it happened. <laughs> Printed flyers and that, but I was never expecting that. Um, but that's, I guess, the first sign that, rah, Maybe I could do something with this yeah. and it's a tool to, I don't know, do something positive in this world, use my gift. Mm. So what age was that? So I was 17 when I recorded the album. I was about 15 when he heard like, the song on MySpace. Mm. And for the two years after that, he was just helping me out, discipling me. I was recording music and then I put out the album at 17, yeah. So 17-year-old Governor B, what advice would you give 17-year-old Governor B? Um, that's a good question, man. So I always talk about Isaac and Governor B at the same time because mm. Governor's like the music and um, the gifting and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like Isaac is... They're the same person. Mm. But when I talk about Isaac, it's like the who I am. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think the advice I'd give myself back then is you've got to look after the puddles before they turn into floods. Mm. And it's something that I wrote about in my book. And what I mean is... At that age, I was struggling a lot with like temptation, mm. like girls, um, insecurity, um, like a big gap in my teeth. Mm. And I think because I never really felt comfortable um, in my own skin, wow. I was acting up and trying to be someone that I wasn't. Mm. But I didn't share how I was feeling with anyone and I didn't share any of my struggles. And I think that when I got a bit older, because I didn't share it, it turned into more insecurity and it turned it, the temptation turned into like pornography and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I always think back that like, if I just told someone 
at the time when I first struggled, it seemed like a big thing back then. Mm. But because I got into so much deeper stuff after, I realised it wasn't actually a big thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would just share my struggles really early on. Um, that's the advice I'd give myself. Um, and yeah, look after them while they're little puddles, because if you don't, they turn into big floods and they're harder to deal with. Why? So um, true. And in terms of governor, as an artist and a musician, so you got to cut out the noise, man. Mm. Because my parents are like super ambitious. Mm -hmm. So they brought me up to have no limitations and think that anything was possible. Yeah. And funnily enough, when I started going to church and stuff like that, that's when the restrictions the started to come, mm. which was weird. So it was like, oh, you're, you rap and you're a Christian, so you've got to make gospel music. Mm. Um, and then I was like, all right, cool. But also like, um, like CCM and like song worship. And I was like, ah, oh, you can't really listen to that, the Matt Redmonds and that kind of stuff, or do songs with them or whatever, because wow. like, the gospel guys are over here, and them that are over there, and then also like Kano, D-Double, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Grams, and you can't really do that, and it was just so much... That's a, that's a small box. Yeah, so many like, rules and limitations and that kind of stuff, and so the advice I'd give myself is just cut out the noise and have some good people around you um, that can give you good advice, but also make you and help you believe that anything's possible because mm. i think you know we've got on our side anything is possible and obviously there's stuff to do with doctrine and what's right and wrong by god yeah but if it passes those tests i think anything goes you know yeah. and i think i try and model that in what i'm doing now there's no reason why i can't be doing uh, writing books and doing music and doing sports stuff and all this other all these other things you know mm. and it's crazy that at such a young age you had such a small box put on what wasn't even developed yet. Yeah, I blame this DVD. Did you ever watch The, the Truth Behind <laughs> Hip Hop? Yeah, that, that killed it for everyone, boy. Yeah, listen, we had yeah. a, um, we had a, we had a um, Bethel conference center. Some yeah. guy came and he was like, yeah. Oh, was he there? Yeah, he said, get all the youth. What all the youth are going to tell you to talk about it? So we was there and we were watching and obviously put the DMX picture up when <laughs> yeah. DMX is in the blood and all this yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> so he was like, yep, so listen to this backwards. Oh, yeah, the backwards thing. The right. backwards thing. He's, they're saying... Yeah. <laughs> they're saying the devil is coming, but you don't hear it. And then there was a there was a Beyonce song in there as well. Yeah, I remember Jay-Z was in there. And everyone was kind of there. And then you leave there and your parents are like, yep, so you can't listen to this. You can't listen to yeah, that. Guys, he, was, he had everyone in the chokehold, boy. I just want to know what kind of inspired him to start listening to tunes backwards. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, when does that go through your mind? When do you think? Hold on. Do you know what I'm saying? And do you know how hard it is as a musician to think about what you're saying backwards, bruv, backwards. and then put it in a rhythm? Um, but yeah, that DVD, I think it kind of messed up a lot of my mindset. Yeah. Um, that I had, to, I had to do some unlearning when I got a bit older, man. Mm. But yeah, it's important who you listen to and, and what noise. And there's so much noise out there, you know, social media and friends and people at church and different groups and stuff like that and it's not just church yeah. it's just it's everywhere so even if people's hearts are in the right place sure. I think you've got to be careful what, what noise you let into your head one of the things that you spoke about is you said the importance of your parents and, and them wanting to achieve and, and be the best how, mm. how does their journey impact you? massively um, and not always in, in the best way funnily enough so mm. when it's good it impacts me because, you know, they instilled qualities such as perseverance and determination mm. and faith. You know, they came over from Ghana mm. with literally nothing, worked really hard, two jobs at a time. And yeah. 
went without. My mum sent me a voice note the other day. I did um, a video with Sky Sports and she got like emotional and she was like, I remember when you was younger, mm. I used to make you suck your thumb because I couldn't afford SMA wow. milk and stuff like that. And, you know, coming from that to, obviously my dad's passed now, but what they've achieved in their lives is, is mad inspiring. So it makes me feel like anything's possible. But I think where it is detrimental is now raising my kids. Mm. It's like, I'm hard on him. But I don't need to be as hard yeah. because I'm in a better position than yeah, my yeah. parents were in. But it's hard to unlearn some of that stuff. So, yeah. like, my son, I'm still going to instill perseverance and determination, all that kind of thing. But he's all right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, thankfully, we can afford milk and he's got a bed to sleep in and food on the table and that kind of stuff. So yeah. I don't need the added pressure of you have to further the legacy of the family and that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like... Yo, just be you, man. Enjoy yeah. life, you know, and what we've provided and try, try and do your best. So I try and balance what my parents have taught me. Did you feel that pressure in terms of you having to achieve and, and do so much, especially from like probably like a young age as well? Like moving in, yeah. I think you do it. Definitely. Um, and I think it's a hard line to walk because you don't want to take for granted the sacrifice that has been made for me and my younger brother, you know, my parents, they probably had dreams of their own yep. that they had to sacrifice, put to one side. you know what I'm saying, yeah, put to yeah. one side. So I don't want to waste that. I want to respect it. But yeah. at the same time, I'm a human being with my own hopes and my own dreams. Yeah. Um, but I think as long as my parents see that, you know, God's working in my life and I'm a good person or trying to be a good person mm. and, and working hard, they don't mind. They did back in the day. Yeah, yeah, it was like, be a lawyer, be a doctor or whatever. Yeah. I always laughed with my mum because when I started rapping, she was like, all right, cool, but get your degree. The rap thing's just a hobby. Um, and she was like, get your degree, get your degree, get your degree. She still supported it, yeah, yeah. but it was She's just like... a little. And then I think I won my first MOBO when I was 18 or 19. And them times it was on ITV. Yeah. So she showed me on TV. And obviously she started bedding her friends. And I was like, right, are you that? You was telling me to just, you know what I'm saying? Put it to the side. But I think when they start to see results yeah. and that has had an effect on the person that I've become, then, and then they're all right. What I've noticed over the years is your music and your heart in your music has developed quite a, quite a bit. Mm. What would you say was kind of leading to that kind of transition? And do you feel that? Do you feel your heart is now more in your music, especially probably the last couple of albums, even kind of Scrapbook 2 as well. Yeah. I, still, I definitely felt your heart more in the music. Did you, do you feel that in creating the music? Yeah, I think so. I've got the worst memory, so sometimes it's hard to... <laughs> there's been so many albums, man. But um, and mixtapes, so it's hard to tap into what I was thinking. But I think Scrapbook 2, I had been a Christian for a while and I was struggling. Mm. But I was too scared to let people know because I was on this pedestal and... I didn't want to be judged. Wow. But when I got home, looked in the mirror, I wasn't a happy person. And so there's songs like Did It Again, which talk about pornography. Mm. And there's songs like Stay, um, which talk about like when you're struggling with your faith and, and that kind of stuff. It was just a lot more honest. Mm. Um, but it was still quite surface level. He's like, oh, I think he's talking about this. But, but I'm not too ah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He ain't giving us all of it. <laughs> So it was just me taking a step into being a bit more honest. Mm. Um, and I think 2015 with Secret World, I looked back at my music and I got this group chat on WhatsApp with a couple of my boys. Mm. And that's like my quality control group chat. And they were just like, fam, you just fling out bare tunes and there's no quality control. And because of that, when you look back on the rhythms, they're not as good as you thought they were. Mm. 
So before Secret World album, I really tried to make an effort to make the music better. Mm. So like better production, better song ideas, better choruses, um, and just like deeper lyrics. Mm -hmm. And then I think the big turning point was after my dad passed away Mm. in 2017. I was grateful to be able to see his body because I was in the hospital that day. Mm. And I just thought a couple of things. The first thing I thought was, wow, life's actually mad fickle Mm. and short. We're not going to be here forever. Mm. So don't waste what you've been given. Mm. Don't be scared of nothing. Because when you're gone, you're gone. You won't be able to feel anything. But Mm. when you're here, you can actually make a difference. And then the second thing it made me think was, my dad just worked all of his life Mm. and never got to enjoy the fruits of his labour. So make sure that I'm... not just putting my all in my work, but I'm spending time with my family and that kind of stuff. So after that, I just felt like I've seen death. So I've got nothing to lose. I'm not scared of dying. I'm not scared of what people think of me. So let's just make this this real music, whatever's on my heart, regardless of what people might think. So from Hands Are Made For Working, that's when I started to make music without any fear. Mm. And I think that's when you can really hear the difference. Um, Yeah, and hopefully everything from this point on is just honest and without fear. Mm. You talk about your dad passing in, in, in a few interviews. Um, one of the things I kind of wanted to know is how did you, or did you, is probably a be- better question, did you deal with it well or did you not deal with it well? And what was going on in, at that time? Yeah, I think on a surface level, people will say that I dealt with it well because I'm the eldest child, so I assumed responsibility of you know funeral arrangements making sure my brother was good Mm. my mum was good that kind of stuff um and just try to keep my head up and keep moving but internally I felt like I didn't really deal with it that great because Mm. didn't delve into my feelings I put my grief to the side and didn't want to face it Mm. um I started drinking a lot more than was recommended I think to help me to just to numb the pain a little bit and help me sleep. Mm. And then there was my wife that really challenged me. I think she took it easy for the first few months because she could see I was going through a lot. But then she was like, nah, if you're not careful, this will actually ruin you, make or break. So um, that's when I started to see like a therapist. I started to um, stop drinking. Um, I actually had a bit of a breakdown in America. Mm. I was on tour with Matt Redman like three months later. Mm. And on the last tour day, I just went to the beach and I felt really heavy when I woke up that morning. morning. Mm. And then I got to the beach and I just started crying. And that was the first time I cried in, in years. And I felt that I wasn't just crying for my dad, but it was a release of everything, everything that I've held in for, you know, the last decade or two. Mm. Um, so it was after, like, those floodgates have opened and I started seeing therapists and that kind of stuff. That's when I started to deal with it in a more, in a more healthy way. Mm. Um, but we all deal with grief differently. And that was the first person that was super, super close to me that I've lost. Mm. And so I was in uncharted territory, do you know what I mean? I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, but yeah, hopefully, touch wood, I don't lose any more people um, soon. Mm. But hopefully I'm better equipped to, to deal with it. Mm. How did you deal with kind of now having to step up to the plate, being the oldest sibling um, with your father passing? How did you cope with that now new responsibility that which you hadn't had before? Yeah. Um, I think it's like the bond of family and teamwork. So my younger brother, um, me and him, I feel like I've, we've got closer since that mm. that point. And I try and not, because sometimes I think 
people view me as the eldest mm. and also because of what I do, um, like Governor B, rap music, all that kind of stuff, they just like, I, am I okay? Do you know what I'm saying? But I'm like, actually, I've got a little brother as well. Mm. You don't need to be asking him the same question. And I think people need to give him more respect because he stepped up as well. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think the big thing with when my dad passed is I didn't feel like I was alone. You know, yeah. and I think that's the beauty of siblings, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like me and my brother, we've not always been like mad tight. He's gone uni and stuff. We don't speak every day. That's mm. not our relationship. But I feel like there was a deeper bond when my dad passed where we're like, we're in this together. Mm. Um, so to be honest, yeah, I'm the eldest child, but I felt like I wasn't really going through it alone. So in those moments, what would you say was birthed out of what you felt as pain for not just yourself but obviously for your brother for your mother for your family for for you for your wife what yeah. would you say was birthed out of that in you yeah i think a new fire and desire that's not a nod to the drake song um to keep his legacy going mm. the idea of you know i think it was i think it was td jakes that said this one time he was like when i'm you see me sitting here it's not just me sitting here, mm. you know, it's like the people that have come before me, like my dad, my granddad, that kind of stuff. So a lot of work has gone into getting me to sit in this seat right now. Mm. How am I going to continue that? Yeah. So there's a new passion, a new desire. And now every time I look at my son, it's like I, I see the sacrifices of my dad. Mm. And the hope is that I'm a better person than my dad was. And my son is a better person mm. than I was and that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, everything my dad did well for me to do well as well. And everything that he didn't do so well for me to learn mm. and do well, like communication. Mm. Like when I got married, most of the, the arguments that we have in marriage is because I don't communicate and I'm not equipped to communicate. So it's, you know, learning to do those things. Mm. So the, the legacy is alive and the generation keeps, keeps pushing, man. What did you learn about yourself most through that time? Um, that I'm not as, what's the word? Solid as I thought I was. When, like, you say, when you say that, do you mean you're not all as so well put together as you thought you were? Yeah, man. Because I think... I don't think I'm that much of a prideful person. My wife and my friends might tell you different. Um, but any pride that I did have or yeah. any pride that I do have probably comes from me being like level-headed mm. and I'm always in control and I'm well put together and I'm very well organised yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when my dad passed and I clocked, actually, if I'm... Man's all over the place. That was a humbling experience and a reminder that I ain't king of this castle where mm. God's in control and none of us are, we're not Terminator, you get me? Mm. Like, all of us, we've got something that might undo us. Yeah. And for me, that was, it was that experience. So that's probably the main thing that came out of it. And I think it was good for me as well mm. that like, yo, everyone needs God, man. And that's, and that's the thing, when, when someone passes who's quite close to us, Especially if I'm similar to you, I feel like I've got control of every situation. Mm. Then when something goes out, I can focus on that particular situation because everything over here is cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then when it's something which you can't really plan for, you can't really, like, yeah. you can't get back to that, it then kind of pushes you closer to what you believe in, essentially. 100%, or further away. Do you know what I'm saying? There's that as well. So you're never staying still. It's like, even if you're on the right path, like I always say, if you're in a motorway, right direction, but you're staying still, you're still going to get run over. You get me? So you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. You're never, you're never staying still. So yeah, hopefully, like you say, it pushes you towards what you believe in. Mm. 
Nah, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, mm. And I feel like it's, it's, it's great that you kind of, you've given, you, you're not just saying, I took on a responsibility about myself. My brother stepped up. The mm. whole family unit stepped up. Yeah, so we, 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 we got through it together. So there wasn't that pressure on, on you per se because everyone stepped up where mm. they were needed. 100. And I think it's important to realise that, you know, family, whether you agree, disagree, have your arguments or whatever, it's what God's blessed us with, man. So mm. we've got to try and make that family unit work and remember that we're in this together. And also I say, when someone's grieving, it's not just them that's grieving. Think about all the people that are connected to them. So my wife obviously lost her father-in-law, mm. but also has to deal with me going through a madness. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not just me, it's everyone around me as well. So when would you say you found that peace again? Would you say it was after um, Everywhere Nowhere or would you say it was before, in the middle? When do you, would you say you found that peace again? I don't know. Peace is a weird one, man, because I don't think it's a destination for me. Mm. Like, I don't arrive at it and then I'm peaceful for yeah, the rest yeah. of my life. I think I've got to ride the waves. So I might feel like today I feel mad peaceful. Mm. But my dad's birthday, you know, April 28th, um, um, in July's anniversary when he passed away, I might feel unpeaceful on those mm. days, you know what I'm saying? So it's just learning to ride the waves and, and just learning to look up even when it's hardest to. And yeah, hopefully, I pray for God to provide me with peace all the time, but it's got to be a constant reminder. It's the thing of renewing your mind every day. I don't think he just gives it to you and you got it for, your rest, for the rest of your life. I think you've got to fight for it every day, man. Mm. You talked about being an American and obviously being the first time you cried and, and that, you know, a release of everything. Would you say that plus, you know, going through this journey fueled writing the, the unspoken, the book? Would you say all of that? Yeah, or definitely. Was, or was that an idea prior to? No, I didn't really have the idea. I was writing little... I was writing a few bits down, but I always thought that it would transform into music. Wow, okay. And then, obviously, I wrote my first book, 2017. Yeah. Um, and then a publisher approached me saying, oh, have you thought about writing about this? And I hadn't really thought about it until then, but then I always have in mind that whatever pain I go through, it has to turn into something beneficial mm for me, my family, and for other people as well. And there's only so much you can get into like a three minute song, do you get me? And so I thought, yeah, man, I actually think that the book can help people. Mm -hmm. It's multifunctional, it can help yeah. me um, process, it's therapeutic for me, but also if anyone's been through something similar, then it can help them. And with things like books, man, I remember being in school and having to go to the library to pick out a book, and I'm not a strong reader, Got so, could never find books that really interested me. Yeah, For me yeah. to get to the end of a book, it's got to be mad interesting. Catch you straight away. Trust me. And the only writer back then that did that for me was Benjamin Zephaniah. And so I thought, ah, oh, this is an opportunity to represent them and them mm -hmm. and people that come from similar backgrounds. That when they walk into the library and see it Unspoken, it's not just a book on grief, but it's a book on grief by a black guy mm -hmm. that's from the ends, that has like a nuanced life and all the things that they might be struggling with and that kind of stuff. And there's not loads out there, so. Nah, not at all. I've just, I always remind myself that, you know, the position I'm in is not so people can say, oh, Governor B is sick. Yeah. It's a responsibility. I'm representing people from my community. Yeah. I'm representing, you know, the youths and, and everyone. So all the decisions I make have to be 
for the benefit of those people, you know? But that's a heavy weight to carry though. Cause like, I, I think about this consistently, like people, especially um, black people who are in high positions, especially high positions that we're not used to being, or we, we, we haven't seen a lot of us in. Mm. A lot of us take on that heavy weight of what I do doesn't just represent me and my family and my last name. It yeah. represents a whole culture, a whole, whole race of people. Mm. Yeah, I understand that. Do you feel that way or is it kind of like it comes with the territory territory considering you've you've been doing music for 10 years, 10 plus yeah. years? Does it does it Sometimes I feel the way. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when you're just like oh, I ain't feeling it today. Um but I recognize that there's a huge blessing mm. that comes with what I've done and I'm so grateful. Yeah. for it. And anytime I feel that way, I try and remind myself that God loves me regardless. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like me doing this interview or me putting out this song, me writing this book, me representing these people, yeah. um, whether I'm not validated by that stuff. Mm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's great if I do it, but even if not, God loves me regardless. And yeah, I just try and see it as a blessing. And when I am tired or when I feel burnt out, I just say no. Do you know what I mean? And mm. I don't feel bad about that. Mm. But yeah, when I'm feeling good, I see it as a great privilege, bro. Like, it's a privilege to be able to represent people, I think. Mm. One of the things that I've seen with the book is your promotional tour was like, I want to say Paolo de Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say Dimitri. Oh, yeah. I, I'm loving the West Ham references. Talk that talk, bro. I, I want to say Carlos <laughs> Tevez. I want to say, look, I want to say Joe Cole. I get some real man. legends, you know. I want to say it's, it's of that kind of caliber. Yeah, thank you. Bro. That's one of the biggest compliments I've ever received. <laughs> no lie. What, how, what's the feedback been like from the book? Yeah, it's been amazing, man. I think, you know, lockdown was so tough for, for so many people. Yeah. Um, but maybe if I could say there's a benefit to it is that the world stopped. And so people had more time to pay attention. Mm. And it seemed like people really paid attention to some of the topics I was talking about yeah. and masculinity and the fact that it's okay for men to be more vulnerable and that kind of stuff. Mm. And I didn't even see it as, you know, like a promo run. Yeah, I didn't yeah. see it as that. I just saw it as a, an opportunity to, to share wow. what's on my heart. And yeah, it didn't feel like, oh, I'm promoting this. Yeah, it just yeah, felt yeah. like, oh, I'm genuinely interested and people are listening. So let's go for it. But, and you know the wickedest thing I've got to say? A lot of stuff that's happened in my life from the outside, it looks like, ah, oh, he's sat down and it's strategic and he's done this. But bro, 95% of the stuff is just favour and God just putting it in, into my lap and me just making the most of the opportunities. I do sit down, I do plan and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. but when I look back, I'm like, it's, it's God, bro. Basically what you're telling me is you've planned, but the plan isn't nowhere near to what... Actually, nah, no way. Obviously, people say mad stuff like, I want to do this and I want to do that. But that's just from my mind. Mm. There's so many other minds that have to be involved and there's yeah. got to be someone at the publishers that's thinking a certain way and someone at Sky Sports that's saying, yes, do X, Y, Z. And I ain't that clever to make this person think that and that person think, do you know what I'm saying? So all things work together. Mm. You know what I mean? Romans um, 828, I think it is. All things work together, man. Um, and I feel like God's... Yeah, he's just, he's blessed me and I'm grateful. So let's talk about Sky Sports and the new things, the new areas that clearly Governor B is just absolutely killing the smash <laughs> at the moment. How do you feel going into that new area, kind of the, 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 the punditry, the broadcaster kind of, kind of area? Obviously you've done your podcast with the Lost Tapes and, and, and mm. those types of things, but this from sports 
especially with the, the club that, you know, you love to your heart forever, blowing bubbles, those types of things <laughs> and, and whatever. Um, how do you feel moving into that new avenue yeah. of, of who you are? Bro, I feel so excited because I'm just excited by anything that shouldn't make sense mm. or that feels impossible. Like, and whenever someone tells me, oh, you can't really do that or that doesn't really make sense, you've got to think about this, I try and find a way to make it work. So, so I started out as a rapper mm. and then I used to get, I used to feel un underqualified when, like, you know, like your car insurance and your mortgage applications, you're like, what's your job title? I'm like, musician. And then they'll be like, oh, what do you play? I'm like, oh, I'm just a rapper. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't really play an instrument <laughs> like that. And then they make you feel like you're, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let me learn piano. So I'm like learning piano at the moment. And then I'm like, oh, I'm a rapper. Can't really sing, but let me sing on Cast Your Cares or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. See how it goes. And um, oh, rappers don't really rap books. Let me just like write a book. Let me, I just, anything that I'm not meant to do or doesn't make sense or there's a limitation there. Yeah. God's given me the peace. Mm then I want to prove that you can, you can do it and I want to be fluid and I just want to meander through all these different spaces. So all that stuff excites me. Um, but there's an insecurity and the kind of imposter syndrome that yeah. comes with it because I know that when I'm going on Sky Sports, you've got professionals that have studied journalism for years and then you've got like ex-pros and I'm walking and they're like, who's this brother? Do you know what I'm saying? But I'm trying to learn to have the confidence that I can only get from God really, and just a reminder that actually no, I'm meant, I'm meant to be here, you know. Um, well, I've got a degree in journalism, but I might not be as qualified or I might not have played football before mm. or I might just be a fan, but I've got something to give, do you know what I'm saying? And that's what I try and remind myself in, in any room that I'm in, whether mm. it's in the gospel world, you know, people like Travis or CCM with Matt and mm. any, like any, any, any world, I just try and remind myself that even though I'm insecure, mm. That's a good thing because it means I've got to rely on God that yeah, I'm yeah. meant to be here. And I think that's, it's crazy to think that someone who I've watched kind of grow music in the, in the music industry, someone who's expanded out, you got, you got songs with, with D-Double, Rich, like these are people <laughs> that we grew up on. Like, yeah. For me to hear you say, you know, insecure and imposter syndrome doesn't make sense to me in my brain mm. from what I see, just because I think to myself, you deserve to be there regardless of where it is, the work you've put in over here is definitely transferable in terms of skills and mm. abilities. Obviously, you'll feel like, because this person's more experienced in doing this, this and that, you might feel like, oh, can I really say something about West Ham and where they're going to finish? Or can I really say something about this football thing or, or whatever? But realistically, you've been putting in the work to get to yeah. the stage. Yeah, no, I see it from your perspective, 100%, and I agree. But then from my perspective, it's all right, I've done a tune with Wretch and D-Double, but I ain't selling the numbers that they're selling or I haven't got the following that they've got, for example, mm. in that world. Or I'm in a... It's like, I'm comfortable everywhere, Yeah. but I don't belong anywhere. Got Do you it. know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. as a gospel artist, you've got Lecrae. All right, who's Governor Vita, like Lecrae or... Do you know what I'm saying? As a singer, you've got, like, you know, all these guys and I just... I'm comfortable in these spaces yeah, yeah, and yeah. I feel like I've got something to give, but I'm not levels like the, the specialist yeah, in those yeah, yeah. fields. So that's where the insecurity comes from. Yeah. But I've learned that I don't need to be the biggest or, or have the most following or I just need to be me in yeah. all these spaces. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's enough. Because people gravitate to you. Mm. It's, not, it's not so much to the numbers or whatever. People gravitate to who you are. 
not just who Governor B is, but who Isaac is. So yeah. even when you talk about Governor B moving from music to, to so forth and so forth, how what I feel and I get from, especially from this conversation, is Isaac always had these things within him. Mm. A lot of people have said that to me um, recently. It's mad. I feel like it's a way that God keeps reminding me. They keep saying stuff like it's not about, you know, what I do or what I've achieved. It's just like about who I am, which is why I can go into any room. And as long as I'm just being me, that's enough, which is like a weight off my shoulders, man. Yeah, because a lot of these things yeah. aren't you coming out of your comfort zone or mm. not coming out of who you are. It's, it's you just showing people the other side of what you have. Yeah, no, 100%. It's definitely me coming out of my comfort zone, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I appreciate that, man. No, seriously. And I think a lot of people look up to you as well because your longevity, not just in music, but now you've been able to expand into all these different kind of areas. What advice would you give to people who are trying to start out and trying to move into these different things, whether it be music, whether it be sports, whether it be whatever they're trying to move into, what advice would you give them in terms of starting and then producing longevity as well? Yeah. Well, I think you've got to start out, and you spoke about this a little bit, but peace, man. Mm -hmm. um, I can't move without peace. Mm -hmm. And I think peace kind of, it develops into like confidence. So if you have peace that you're meant to be doing something, you know, whatever you think you're meant to be doing, um, I think just go for it. Mm -hmm. um, but the consistency part comes from renewing your mind, genuine passion, mm. um, realising that God's probably going to use you to achieve something bigger than your mind can fathom, but it might not look like what your mind is fathoming. So being open to when he throws in a little curveball. Um, but yeah, I think if you love it, you just got to keep going. Mm. I've got a theory that might not work, but in my head, I tell, yeah, break I tell it down myself. For us. Break it down for us. But I just think, if you're good enough mm. for long enough, yeah. then things will happen. Okay. So if they're not happening, One of the two things try and develop your skill level so you're better. Mm. If they're not happening, keep doing it. Got you. Maybe what you look at as success isn't what the world will view as success. Mm. So I'm not saying that at the end of it, you're going to make a million pounds and go all over the world. Mm. I'm just saying at the end of it, hopefully you'll be as satisfied as possible. And for me, success is doing the best with what God's given you. Mm. Um, and I think that that's a satisfying thing. So I just think you've got to be good enough for long enough. And that's my approach. Mm. And it's clearly working out for you. Thanks, man. Do you feel like you're in a position where you're doing the stuff that you dreamed of? Um, yeah. Or is there more that we haven't seen? Well, there's always more um, because I don't want to, I want to die empty. Do you mm. know what I'm saying? I don't want to look back and feel like, oh, you could have gone harder or you could have um, looked after your family a bit better or whatever. Um, but I had no expectations because I never wanted to do this. I wanted to work in an office. I had a job at the O2 phone shop in Romford, which I loved. I loved sales. Um, and then I worked in a call centre, mm. which I loved. I was selling people Omega-3 products, like cold calling. Mm. That was sick. Um, and then I just thought I'd always work in an office. Really? But the music thing is an accident. And all the other things that it's turned into, I never planned it. So in a way... It's nothing you ever dreamed of. Yeah. Of part of the plan. But then when I break it down, I'm like, rah, I get to do this for a living. Mm. And feel like God's blessed it and I'm um, doing all the things I'm really interested in then in that way yeah I am living my dream you kind of spoke about it before and you said what success looks like but 
in terms of in your life, what does true success, what, when you look back and you say, you know what, I'm successful, this, this has been a successful life, what would that look like to you? Um, being present. Mm. I think during lockdown, I went through like a tricky time in my marriage mm. because work was going amazingly, but I wasn't present at home because I was like, oh, I'm grinding for my family, I've got to work. And that was what my view of success was wrapped up in, just mm. getting hard, yeah? And then I'm getting home and the people that are closest to me don't feel like I'm being present and wow. don't feel like I'm giving my all to them like I give to my work. Mm. So I don't think I was being successful at all. Even from the outside looking in, wow. it looked amazing. So I think now it's being present wherever I am. So, you know, when I'm here, I'm giving you my all when I'm... On TV, I'm giving it my all. When I'm in the studio, I'm giving it my all. But also, and more importantly, when I'm at home or when I'm having my times with God and when I'm taking my son out or when I'm chilling with my wife, mm. just being present in that sense. So, yeah, for me, success at this stage of my life probably looks like being, being present. You know what's crazy? Well, not crazy, but you know what's kind of interesting about what you... What is actually interesting about what you said mm. is that you were grinding to help the fam. Yeah. So when they're looking at you and they're like, hold on, you're not present. You're, I can imagine your thought process is, but hold on, I'm putting in all this work for you guys to be I cool. actually said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually <laughs> said that. So. But I don't know. I don't want to um, stereotype guys, but I think a lot of guys just think mm. that that's the role. Like, we're providing for the family. We're working hard. I saw my dad do it. Mm. You know what I mean? He weren't particularly present. He weren't having conversations at Yard, but I never doubted that he loved me because yeah, he was yeah. out, out there grinding. Um, but I understand that that's not the only way that you can provide. You can provide yourself, you can provide your time, you can provide conversation and not just income and, and hard work mm. and success in that sense. No, that's good. So how did you kind of get out of that? I should have brought my wife here. I should have told you if, if we <laughs> had. Emma would have been like, okay, this is what happened. <laughs> um, took a break, went on a little, little trip away mm. um, in the UK because obviously you can't really travel abroad and stuff at the moment. Mm. And that was good. And well, I took my laptop just so I can do the Netflix thing, mm. but I didn't, I wasn't on emails. Mm. Um, and that felt good because it felt like, yo, I can switch off. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? The first argument we had um, was on honeymoon because I was checking my emails on honeymoon. Wow. Yeah? That's how hard it is for me to switch off. Um, so, yeah, that's a big step. And also, honeymoon. yeah, I know, I know, it's bad. I'm, I'm better now, though. So, I've changed. Yeah. I've changed. <laughs> I've changed. Um, I think it's a journey, man. Mm. I think it's me learning that because the society that we live in is grind, grind, grind. You've got to work hard. Mm. If you ain't working hard, you're a waste, man. If you're not balancing, trust me. It's 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> if you ain't got all that, bruv, you got the same hours in the day as Beyonce, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I'm like, bro, love that, man. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I work hard, but rest hard as well. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, so you're yeah, just trying to find a balance. Just mm. trying to find a balance. Where did West Ham finish this season? And where? Mad segue. Um, <laughs> where do we... So I think it's two things. Okay. Yeah? I've got to be careful. I don't know who's watching this. <laughs> so I think the first one is we do amazingly mm. in the Europa League. I believe that. But in the league, we nearly get relegated. Whoa! whoa. Or whoa. we don't do as well in the Europa League but we have another strong finish in the league, like a fifth, fourth, I'd be happy with. But I worry 
that unless we make a few more signings by the end of the window, yeah. that we don't have the strength in depth to do both. Because you've got to think, travelling midweek, recovery. It's a Thursday as well. It's not even, Thursday. It's not even Tuesday. It's Thursday. Game on a Saturday or Sunday. Sometimes you'll have two Prem games in a week. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, bro. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't got the strength in depth, I think it's tough. And sometimes we see it with, um, you know, Champions League teams in the Prem. They'll get to the final of the Champions League, but they won't have a great season. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So hopefully it's a good one all round. Um, and there's a bit of a, a medium. I'll be happy with a top, top five finish and like a decent Europa run, man. Mm. No, I hear that. I hear that. That makes sense. Hopefully you don't finish above my team, you know, Liverpool. Shout out to them, man. Liverpool shocked me last season. I feel they shocked everyone. How did you manage to finish third, was it? Yeah, I think it was third. You see when Alisson scored that goal? Oh, yeah, that was a bad boy, but I was you happy see, for him you see, when Alisson sc- you see when the goalkeeper come up and he scored that goal? I knew from there. That was a great day. And I feel like with us, once we hit momentum, especially the back end of the season when everyone else has got nothing else to play for, Yeah. we just want to win games. Yeah. The fact that you finished third without playing particularly well last season says something. I think Van Dijk's back now as well. But he was looking shocking yesterday. But oh, was he not great? Allow him though, he's just come back, he's been out for a season, allow him man. He's just come back still, but <laughs> Van Dijk, you know, nah, he's just come back, so nah, I think we're going to do good this season. We need a few more signings because it's looking a bit shaky at the moment, I don't think we've got the strength and depth. So, obviously you're from Birmingham. Yeah. I know Liverpool have done well like, in recent years, do you just start supporting them or nah, what's the deal so, with them? One of the new school supporters. Nah, so basically when I was nine years old. Everyone's got a story that they've made up, you know. No, nah, no, nah, this is true, <laughs> this is a true story. Because my dad, my dad sports Man United. Oh, okay. So I used to love Andy Cole and Dwight York. Yeah, oh, ballers, yeah. In school. York. Yeah. Anyway, so nine years old, uh, Liverpool in this um, Europe, well, UEFA Cup final against Alaves. And Gary McAllister had a free kick on the, um, just outside the edge of the box. And I said, I was at my mum's friend's house, and I said, if Liverpool score from this free kick, not mm. if they score in general, if they score from this free, free kick, kick, I'll support Liverpool for the rest of my life. What? Uh, that's a believable story, I like you. Ball went in. It wasn't even from, it was an own goal. <laughs> that's what made it worse. The ball went in, it's own goal. And it was, they were playing golden goal or whatever it was oh, like, at yeah. that point. I miss golden goal, man. And then, so from that point, I was like, okay, I'll spot for the rest of my life. Fair play. I believe that story. But that's I went, a good went story. Some, some, some torturous boy after yeah, that. Now I, you're all right. But was it? 2005, was it? The Champions League final. I cried half time. That game. That's oh, a whole, yeah. That's a whole <laughs> story. Last question for you yeah. <laughs> before we get into the football thing. With where you're at now in life, mm. what advice would you give to yourself? Um, I'm trying to rein in my paranoia, you know. Okay. Explain that one, though. I feel like it's just easy to get paranoid these days. Okay. Because um, I'm doing a lot of stuff. And if I'm focused too much on what people think of me, mm. I'll start getting mad. So that. if I think, rah, do people think that what I'm doing doesn't make sense? Mm. Or do people think that this music isn't good? Or does this guy even like what I'm doing? Because I respect him, but I've seen that he hasn't commented on my thing or reposted my... And you can get paranoid, but these times, them people, they're not even thinking about you. Or yeah, they love you, or they think you're cool or whatever. But you're thinking all these thoughts in your head... And it's making you paranoid. Mm. And so I want to rein in, in this age of social media and so many thoughts and so many opinions and captions and that kind of stuff. Mm. I want to make sure that I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt Mm. and also finding my security in God. You Mm. know what I'm saying? And 
building relationships with people. Mm. And one person I love for this is, is Faith Child, because I think he's sick at this. Um, and he's someone who always like makes an effort to call, text, check in on you yeah. and that kind of stuff. And I think when you start building a relationship like that, paranoia kind of mm. disappears because you're like, oh, no, like, I know my man. Like, he's cool, you know what I'm saying? You know where he stands. So I'm just trying to make an effort to... My advice to myself was just to be, build relationships and try and connect with people more because mm. that helps with the paranoia. Find security um, that isn't based on what other people think of you. Mm. And also try and pay it forward. I'm 32 now. I'm not Jay-Z, so I'm probably not going to be rapping when I'm 48, 50. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be. Um, but like, have I left the door open mm. for next man to come through and do a lot better than what I've done? Because I think we have to challenge ourselves to mm. do that. Like, it's that thing of we always want people to do well, but never better than us. Mm. And I'm trying to just delete that from my mindset and think, no, like, people have to come through and do more than I have done. Yeah. I'm still part of the story. I still played my part, mm. but it can't end with me. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's got to keep, keep moving, so, yeah. Thank you very much. Love, bro. Appreciate your time. Long time coming, man. Listen. Thanks for having me on the, on the proper thing. You tried to do a Zoom thing. You weren't trying to rate me. I've seen Becca, I've seen Cordart, I've seen Faith, nah, seen don't Triple. Do that at the end of the say, yeah, nah, just, just come on the screen for Governor's <laughs> one. So I had to... Don't let, don't, <laughs> listen, don't let Governor Jiggles you, though. People at home, don't let Governor Jiggles you. Thank you for coming. Nah, I love it. Thank like, you for don't me. try it, fam. Try the Zoom thing, you know. <laughs> Disrespect. <laughs> Disrespect. This is the yeah. we H with Governor V. Don't try, don't let him jiggle you, you know. Love. We'll have more content for you coming very, very soon.